This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. Let's see who is up. Uh, John in Longmont, welcome to the program. Praise God. Praise God, sir. Thank you for your time. I'm just... Uh, 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 you know, I'm just kind of going. I'm kind of bold here because I'm putting the two together. Revelation uh, 13, 4. So then they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, "Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him?" And I'm just reading an article here with Germany. In Germany at the they they're Satan worshippers in Germany. They're getting bolder. At the Grammy Awards, they feature the president of a song title, "Unholy." And they worship the devil in um, in Germany. And I'm um, just reading, of course, uh, the Word of God. And then somebody is going to uh, come on the scene and rule this planet for three and a half years. And I'm just wondering if there's uh, uh, also if America, China, and Russia knew the power that you can get by worshiping the beast. But whoever does come on the scene for uh, the three and a half years, they will be smashed by our God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know. But I'm just saying, if this, I would like to, uh, to get some little close-up on this, because you were talking about Satan, who is just a fallen angel, you know. Right. He's just a, <laughs> he's just a fallen well, angel. Your, and he, I just want to say it over the air that he's just a fallen angel. Uh, and he well, hates, to your point. He hates for us to say that. Yeah, and, and to your point, there is a growing, there's a growing mainstreaming of Satan and Satanism. And again, like I said earlier, when the when the Satanists tell you tells you it it isn't about Satan, again it is about Satan. It's like when they say it's not about the money, it really is all about the money. And so Satan is real according to the Bible. And Germany has a very long history of satanic connection, including um, going all the way back to a group called. Uh, the German Theosophical Society, which is pre-World wow. War One and pre-World War Two, And Theosophy was a big deal, and it made its way into the United States of America um, and, and took hold um, after our own civil war as a growing group of people. Remember, uh, tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of Americans were killed in the civil war. And there was a growing group of people who wanted to connect with their dead loved ones. And so they became attracted to spiritism. And, and as you know, that's what Satanism does, is it lures you with a lie that you can have access to supernatural information about the people that you love the most. And that you don't have to go to the Bible to get that information. That, that you can go directly to your loved one. And of course, we're back to... Uh, what you said earlier, and that is that there is a man of sin who's going to show up, and he is going to um, manifest himself. Now, again, you, you quoted uh, about the image of the beast, and he makes the, the, this, uh, this image to speak. And I used to think that this might be a holographic statue-type situation, but with the advance of artificial intelligence, 
and the uh, the I'm going to use the the term the aggregation of the sum of all of human wisdom, and then attach that to a supernatural entity like Satan. And uh, notice what the Book of Revelation says: He makes this image speak. And the first thing that the image has to say is, worship me. Wow. That's amazing. Do you, know, uh, do, do you think, sir, just offhand, do you think that, uh, that Satan also has disciples too? And, and, and they're politicians and they're ruining this country, you know? You could see that. Right, and, and, and I think there's there's a, there's a Satan, there's a power. You can see Satan's alive because there's hatred that's going around, even with right. uh, with our Israeli friends. Sir. So I see them uh, overt, and I see them covert. To your point, in other words, some come out, dare to use the term out of the closet, and says, "Hey, look, you know, I'm going to tell you uh, that I'm a Satanist." And so they, they don't even pretend that they're anything other than a Satanist. But, but Satan, according to the scripture, has targets. He targets the mind. That's what he did with Eve. With Job, he targeted the body. With David, he tra- targeted the will. With Joshua, he targeted the heart and conscience. So there, he, it isn't just one weapon. Satan has lies and suffering and pride and accusation. And the purpose of lies is to... No, it's not just your mind. It's your body suffering. It's it's your will, pride. It's your heart and your conscience, accusation. And then he wants to make you ignorant of God's will, impatient with God's will, independent of God's will, or indictment by God's will. And so if he can make you ignorant of God's will or impatient with God's will, then he is making progress. But according to the scripture, we have a defense, the inspired word of God, the imparted grace of God, the indwelling spirit of God, the interceding son of God. Jesus is in heaven uh, dealing with the accusation that's made against us. And the Holy Spirit is within us in in an ever-increasing attempt to deal with our pride, to humble us so that we will trust him. And so, uh, you know what? Uh, Again, as, as Satan ramps up his game... The way I think about it, we have to ramp up our game. And I love sports. I, I'm, I plan on watching the Super Bowl on Sunday. And um, I went to the University of San Francisco. So, you know, for me to root for the 49ers is not that big of a deal. But, that you know, they're, they're not my do-all, be-all team. But to make a long story short, I pick a team and I root for them. And that's what Christians are going to have to do. And, and that's what the world, to your point, is going to have to do. They're going to have to pick a team. They're going to have to pick a team. And most people are not going to pick Team Jesus. They're going to pick Pretty the other sad, team. Pastor. Pretty sad. All the more reason for us to give the gospel and point people to Jesus. Amen. Amen to that, sir. I just... I just wanted but, to talk to you for a minute and point that and hear what you had to say. It's always good to hear your voice. Well, thank you. I hope it was interesting. Thank you. Yes, it is. And, sir. you know, 
And, and by the way, yeah, Germany has a real deep, entrenched history of, believe it or not, Christianity. But again, where grace abound. Yeah, I mean, remember, Luther comes out of Germany. The Reformation comes out of Germany. And, and then there is Charles the Great, Otto the Great. You know, they've always they have intense history. You know, and they're very quiet. They, they really they're not like Iran or other countries. They don't threaten anybody, and they know how to start world wars. You know, yeah. <laughs> to me, they're pretty scary, sir. <laughs> you know, because you know, I work in prisons and I deal with the ones that don't threaten anybody. They're just quiet, and they're the most dangerous ones. You look at the, and then you look at the criminal record. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they don't threaten anybody, right. but they just so I'm I'm just kind of worried about. Well, I don't have to worry because soon Satan will be gone, sir. Sin, sorrow, and suffering will be gone. We won't have to deal with him no more. All the glory to our God, sir. Hey, thank you for <laughs> your call. Come. Thank you for your patience. Have a it good is. Day. Keep praying. Bye. Keep giving the gospel. Yes, Keep sir. serving Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Three. Three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, it's easy to do. You pick up that phone, dial the number three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for joining me. The number is three zero three eight seven three nineteen thirty five. Three zero three. 873-1935. Lynn, let's see who's up. Mark, welcome to the program. Uh, yes, Gino. How are you? Doing good. Having an interesting day today. <laughs> well, I, that's okay. It makes it life interesting. Um, I had a question for you regarding surrogacy. Okay. Um, my wife and I are very involved and um, have had the it not come into our personal life but have heard two different um, pastors, one national, one local, make the blanket statement that they believe that surrogacy is inappropriate and against um, biblically, but not giving any scripture backup for that. And I understand there's times in which surrogacy would truly be inappropriate, but if you had a situation where you said maybe you had a sister uh, that, uh, you know, could not get pregnant, uh, married to a, a Christian man. Uh, and if you were in a situation where you would offer up to become a surrogate for them, is there a biblical stance um, associated with that? If so, I'd love to hear the reference for it. All right. Let, let's talk about the reference, not specifically, but at least in principle, Okay. In other words, there's no chapter and verse that says, thou shalt be a surrogate or thou shalt not be a surrogate. And everybody's familiar with the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 16. Sarah can't bear children, uh, so she gives her servant Hagar to Abraham so that she could have his children. It was a common practice in the time. Um, and but but again, we know from a closer examination in the Bible that this wasn't God's will, and it wasn't uh, because God made a very specific promise to Abraham and Sarah. So the closest the Bible comes to what we would call traditional surrogacy today is where the mother's impregnated with the sperm of a of a man 
for often one whose wife is incapable of producing eggs, usually by means of artificial insemination. And that's called gestational surrogacy, which in, involves the transplantation of an already conceived embryo containing the sperm and egg from a couple. And in that case, the surrogate's role is simply that of a carrier, which was not the case with Hagar. So we right. learn we learn that sometimes because so let me tell you the 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 downside okay the downside is that a surrogate parent can be subject to pain and heartache and confusion because when the person who's serving as the surrogate your body says I'm going to have a child I'm going to have a child I'm going to have a child but then they're going to give that child up and and so uh so imagine a person is given financial compensation or whatever, but that doesn't make it any less difficult for a woman. And so I, I, I tie the two events together of both being barren or, or losing a child. Um, so the Bible doesn't for the way I'm going to answer your question is the Bible doesn't forbid the use of a surrogate parent in my view but raises the question of whether or not it's ethical. And so to bring a third party into the mix can create some difficulties. And so what will that look like? Does everybody understand their role? Do they understand the expectation? Um, and so I put this in the, in the realm of... of of Romans chapter 14 and 15. Now, again, Romans chapter 14 and 15 isn't dealing with surrogacy. It's dealing with questionable things, okay? The questionable things are, um, you know, things that people disagree with. You, you pointed out a national pastor and a local pastor. And Paul recognizes that in each local church there are mature believers you know, we who are strong. And so the argument that he gives isn't, yes, you can do it or no, you can't. He begins to lay out a, a series of, I'm going to use the term markers, okay? Markers. Am I fully convinced I can do this? R Romans 14, 1 through 5. The husband and wife and the surrogate all think, I have permission from God to do this. Can I do this as unto the Lord, Romans 14? Can I, will it stand the test of the judgment seat? It, it, the idea being, can I stand before Jesus and with a clear conscience and, and, and good conscience say, I think I did what was best before the Lord? The other thing is, is it, could, could it cause somebody to stumble? And am I doing this by faith? Am I doing this to please myself or please others? And so, obviously, the Bible says that children are a gift, not a right. Why is it that God blesses some people with wealth and success, but others he doesn't? Why does he bless some with children and others not? So, so the way I would think about this is, could using a surrogate out of arrogant defiance be a sin? Possibly. Could using a surrogate after prayerful consideration, after exhausting all of your other options, seeking God's will and guidance be an acceptable alternative to, to have children? And you know what? 
I guess the way I'm going to answer this is, I don't know. You have to examine your heart and the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm thinking of the passage in 1 Corinthians 10.31. You know it. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So that's the other little marker. Can I do this by faith and to the glory of God? And there's another little element. Imagine you're making embryos, okay? And you dispose of the embryo. To me, that's wicked and wrong. If you, In that case if, of it, if, I certainly do understand. So, so if, if, if you're creating embryos for the purpose of destroying them, I, I'm not good with that. Yeah. But if you're creating an right. embryo and, and, and implanting that embryo in a surrogate mother for the purpose of gestation, um, again, this is, it's not as simple as saying, yes, you can, no, you can't. It's all of those elements that I brought up. Those are the new, so that's the kind of nuanced answer that I think um, people need. Because again, I think many, many people don't understand what it's like to be barren, uh, where you, where all you want in your life is just to have a baby. And then you look out into this world where people are having, ba- you know, they shake hands, they get pregnant and you don't get it. And I don't get it either. But, but again, yeah, it's complicated, but all, those are all the kinds of things that I would take into consideration. And actually that answer, I very much appreciate because when we received on the other side of it, kind of a blanket statement of uh, that surrogacy is not immoral, uh, is immoral. Uh, I'm, we both kind of have had multiple conversations and said, under the right circumstances, I understand if you're going to do this to carry it merely for the money or to provide to a, maybe a same-sex couple that could not otherwise have, uh, I understand the, the conflict there, but truly to bless a family with a child that they could not otherwise conceive or carry, uh, I did not see how it would align. And I think that's where it's a complicated answer and not as simple as a blanket, yes, it is, or no, it's not. Correct? Right. And I think couples can head off a lot of problems if if the surrogate is a member of the family and everybody understands their role and the expectation and everyone has a strong bond with the couple and and it's the welfare of the child that is uppermost in their mind. So I, I can't say blanketly don't do it and I can't say blanketly do it. All of those issues have to be thought about, prayed about and resolved. Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Hey, you are this. I live for this. This is what I live for. <laughs> hey, thank well, you I agree again. I appreciate it. Thanks. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Happy to take your call. The number is 303-873-1935. And thank you for all of your interesting questions. 303-873-1935 was going to sort of shift the focus here on the Antichrist. And then all of a sudden uh, I read a new poll. You know, people are always guessing who the Antichrist is. And uh, there was a poll that said two-thirds of Democrats 
want Biden to drop out of the 2024 race. Now, I found that interesting. Two-thirds of Democrats want Biden to drop out. And so who do they want to take his place? Gavin Newsom, Michelle Obama, Kamala Harris, Gretchen Whitmer, Hillary Clinton. What is, well, who's their go-to backup in case uh, the current president decides to drop out? I don't have a good answer, but there is a, um, there's there's an interesting, because over the last, dare I say, 40 years, maybe even 50 years, I've had questions about the Antichrist, and people have asked me questions about the Antichrist. And according to the Bible, it gives us a kind of a profile. You know, when I had the great privilege of working with the FBI as a chaplain, um, I had the opportunity to meet with and have conversations with some of the uh, profilers. And if you think about the profile of the Antichrist or the Antichrist figure, what does it look like? And, uh, of course, in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, it talks about this Antichrist figure who will come on the scene at the beginning of the day of the Lord. That day is sometimes called the end times, or um, it is that final time. And some scholars believe it starts either with the rapture of the church or shortly thereafter. And so it's good to note that the day of the Lord doesn't seem to be a 24-hour period of time, but this, this I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use the term, a unit of judgment. And the unit of judgment seems to be a heptad, or a seven-year, or seven, uh, a seven and the Bible says that the Lord Jesus will come back. He'll put down rebellion. He'll begin a thousand-year reign. And so in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the Antichrist figure is called the man of lawlessness. Because apparently this Antichrist figure is given that title. He's called the little horn in Daniel chapter 7 verse 8 a willful king in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. He's called the man of sin in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. He's called the son of perdition in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. He's called the wicked one in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He is called the beast in Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, which in, in a way is an interesting title because it, it's, emphasizing what's the word I'm looking for do I believe the Antichrist figure will be a human being yes but the Bible calls him a beast why because I think it's 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 emphasizing his lack of humanity 
And so apparently this Antichrist figure opposes God, the biblical God, opposes his law. He will be completely lawless. And so he's called the lawless one or the man of lawlessness. And Daniel chapter 7 speaks of him as a boastful king who will try to change the set times and the laws, verse 11 and 25. So apparently whoever this figure is, it is a figure who is going to literally change the way you calculate time. And apparently interpret and apply law. He comes on the scene offering a false peace to the world. And apparently he does it with a charismatic personality, incredible promises, breathtaking miracles, uniting nations politically, economically, and religiously. And so when people say stuff like, well, do you think Donald Trump's the Antichrist? Or do you think that, um, fill in the blank, whoever. I had, you know, some people have speculated about King Charles when he was Prince Charles being this Antichrist figure or Henry Kissinger being the Antichrist figure or Ronald Reagan being the Antichrist figure. But according to the Bible, he's a genius in Daniel chapter 8, an intellectual genius, an oratorical genius in Daniel chapter 11, a political genius in Revelation 17, a commercial genius in Daniel chapter 11. So he's a religious, military, commercial, political, oratorical, intellectual genius. Who checks those boxes for you? And again, apparently he has the ability to control the Western power block. He makes a seven-year covenant in Daniel chapter 9. He is going to establish a covenant with Israel and then break that covenant with Israel. He's going to attempt to destroy Israel. And then he's going to attempt to destroy the false religious system so that he can rule unhindered. And he sets himself up as God. And so, in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, in the middle of the seven years, it talks about this lawlessness person, breaks the covenant, stops sacrifices, enters the temple, sets himself as a little G-O-D, demands worship in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Apparently, this is the abomination that causes desolation that Jesus spoke of in Mark chapter 13, verse 14, where it says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. And then and there's a, almost like a parenthetical note. It says, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So apparently, 
when you connect all of these dots, Satan works through the Antichrist. For Satan himself isn't able to become incarnate. Satan doesn't have the ability like Jesus to become a man. Satan can't take on a second nature, a human nature. He possesses and then controls this Antichrist figure. He's worshipped in the temple where the biblical God is to be worshipped. And no wonder the Antichrist is called the lawless one. Because to act as God is the ultimate rejection of God, his character, and his law. This person, he's going to bring upheaval on a global scale. That's who this person is. 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, I'll be right back. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Let's see if we can take a couple more calls. Let's see who's up. Is it Jeremiah? Yes, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Gino, for taking my call. Um, I'm a pastor of a local church, uh, non-denominational church in Westminster. And uh, great, you were talking. You were talking about the Antichrist, and um, you just mentioned before the break how uh, it's a you know he couldn't be incarnate. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Well. So my question is this. Um, I've heard other ministers, uh, especially in my circle, have also mentioned the fact that uh, going off of Genesis chapter 6, that the sons of God looked at the daughters of men, and then the fact that Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, that they believed that uh, history would repeat itself and that Satan would actually do almost the same thing as the sons of God did in Genesis chapter 6 in order for the Antichrist to become incarnate. Uh, what do you have to say of that? I mean, what's your take on that one? Yeah, that's a very interesting thought. And, and again, let's take the thought experiment for what it's worth. Like, for instance, let's imagine that Genesis chapter 6, in fact, talks about angelic beings who have sex with human beings and the being that's produced isn't exactly an angel and it isn't exactly a human. It's something else. And if uh-huh. that's the case, if just if we could imagine a scenario where Satan as a fallen angel is able to impregnate a woman and his offspring becomes something that isn't human and isn't an angel. Now, again, this goes to the plausibility factor that I just talked about earlier with the Antichrist, because whoever this Antichrist figure is, he's he's checking the boxes, intellectual, oratorical, political, mm-hmm. commercial, military, religious, just start checking the boxes and you just go, this doesn't sound like a human being. Um, yeah. But but if it is, if we if we do that thought experiment and we go, but it still isn't Satan. It, it, is this a being, his son, if you will, who is not human and is not, um, who is, who who is not an angel? Now, now the other thought experiment that I have 
is that is it possible that Satan prepares some human being with those qualities in every age to take up the mantle at some point or another? And so I don't know the answer to that. I really don't. Um, Okay, I I just wanted to get your perspective because it's like food for thought because we have Bible studies, and I'm, as a matter of fact, headed to our church Bible study right now. So, and that was something that was brought up. Right. It's not. It's not completely implausible, because again, no matter what, where you come down on um, Genesis chapter six. You know, is this a human and a human that produces something that's not human? Is this a, yeah. an angel and a demon or a, a human that produces something that's not human? There's no good answer other than whatever is created. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem yeah, to and, fit the you know and, check the boxes. Exactly, and and that's why that's why I was asking because in Genesis six it also says that. They, you know, they existed during, you know, before the flood and then also afterwards, you know, the, during the time of Canaan, uh, the Rephaim. And then it says, but these were men of renown, which is, you know, these are smart. These, these were smart beings. They weren't, you know, the normal human IQ. So that's why I was right. I was wanting to get your perspective. Yeah, there is there is um, there's an interesting passage in Second Thessalonians chapter two which says the departure, the falling away, the defection, the revolt. And then it talks about this Antichrist figure. And it talks about the mystery of iniquity already at work in the world. Mm -hmm. That there are forces Mm -hmm. that would bring this Antichrist to power to establish the kingdom that's currently being restrained. So there is, so, so, you know, we've got all of these little boxes that are difficult. His origin um, is this genetic? Is this uh, supernatural? Is this a human being who's actually, dare I use the word, possessed by Satan? But yeah, yeah. So you have all of these different options, which gives us the most plausible option biblically. Good. Yeah, and I don't. I, I can't say. Well, I would go with option number one, or option number two, or option number three. If I were to guess, I would guess that it's a human being. That human beings are prepared in each generation, and in that preparation process, there is this possibility of literal occupation by Satan. It's kind of like Judas Iscariot. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And 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 again even with Judas Iscariot, remember even though he is occupied by Satan, he is still held accountable for his rebellion and disobedience yeah. as Judas. Yeah. Okay. Interesting, well, isn't uh... it? It, it is interesting, and to be honest with you, we're we're studying the Book of Revelation right now, and so these questions are popping up. And you know, I like to give different perspectives, you know, because uh, I don't think that there's a concrete, solid answer on certain certain questions. So I just want to get a perspective from. Well, as you can probably tell, I've thought a lot about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And as a matter of fact. You know, I, I, I listen to you uh, all the time, and, and we've met. Uh, I was at World of Coins, and you looked at some of my ancient coins. So um, I wanted to thank you for that. And, uh, 
uh, on a separate issue, I want to know if you had any uh, coin shows coming up anytime soon. Well, we meet the second Tuesday uh, at Calvary South Denver, second Tuesday of every month. So um, I think we just had our – well, tomorrow will be our first Tuesday, right? So it will be a week from yeah. tomorrow. But just a quick okay. point. Just a quick point for you. Whatever else the Book of Revelation means, it mm-hmm. is relevant for Christians. So here's what I would say: No matter who you are and what position you take, I would point out to people: No matter what interpretation or application you take, the message is relevant for all times. Yep. Number two, Absolutely. the book provides hope and encouragement for believers in every time, especially in persecution and suffering. And then the message of the book is clear on at least three points. Number one, Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge humanity. Number two, the powers of evil are doomed before Jesus. And number three, God promises a wonderful future for everyone who believes in Christ. So you could say, well, what about this and what about that? And you can go, yeah, I'm happy to talk about any and all of those things, but these are the things that everybody agrees on. Yeah. And, you know, I had one more, if I could ask one more small question about Quick, the Antichrist. Quickly. Um, okay. In Daniel, it says he regards not the use of women. Now, I've had somebody bring that up in our Bible study. Does that mean that he's homosexual, or does that mean that he doesn't pay any attention to anyone? It could be either or. It could be he doesn't pay attention, or that he just simply uses women like he uses everyone else as a as a Got tool it. to get his— to, to reach his end. So whether it's a two, he, he doesn't regard women, I'm going to suggest to you probably means he can't be persuaded by women to, to change his mind. Got it. Okay. So he can't be seduced. He can't be seduced. Uh, okay. so, d- 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 so I think it would be a, maybe a step too far to say that he's a homosexual or or whatever. I think the most important thing is he cannot be seduced by anyone other than Satan. That's the way I would put it. Well, you know, I appreciate it. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, You're welcome. Thanks for joining me. Lord willing, I'll be back taking your calls, answering your questions. Thanks, Jim.